It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel. Powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. On the web at lck-law.com. Hey, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard, and I'm here with Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory, two of my favorite people on the planet. Do you guys know that? I, I suspected it, I think. I feel it. <laughs> the three of us are financial planners at Corhorn Financial Group, three of seven financial advisors on the team there, along with CPAs and certified insurance counselors, a whole bunch of financial professionals right there to serve whatever financial issue you've got going on. So thanks for spending the hour with us today. We've got a great show lined up. There is a lot going on in the world of finance, and we're going to be hitting all sorts of stuff today. For example, did you hear that the country of Iceland supposedly paid off all of the mortgage debt for all of their citizens? Come on. Man. The presidential race would get a little interesting if that was thrown out there uh, as a campaign promise. So we're going we're to be talking about that in just a moment. But later in the show, we're going to talk about why HSAs, health savings accounts, could be more important for your retirement than 401ks. We're going to talk about the Obama administration trying to get involved in people's retirement planning. And even with the housing season underway, whether it's easier or getting harder to get a mortgage today. So all that and much more throughout the show. Later, we're hoping to hit some listener questions. And as always, you can submit your question by calling the hotline, 574-222-2000. That's a voicemail box. You can leave your question and all the details right there. Or you can get more information about the show and submit a question online at wisemoneyradio.com. So let's dive in with this Iceland thing. So I follow a couple economists on Facebook. My wife loves to tease me about that, but I do. And one such economist earlier this week posted or shared an article about how Iceland, in an attempt to stimulate their economy, paid off the debt of all of their citizens. The article was a bit suspicious, even though it was from a reliable source. I was going to ask you if you found any evidence that this actually happened. So here's the deal. It even said in this post that the U.S. had censored this and it was blacked out. Like if you searched for this on Google, you wouldn't even find it. So anyway, I wanted to talk about this, but I wasn't satisfied with it being censored. So I started digging and I actually found quite a bit of information on it and a Forbes article and some other articles. So, okay, so so here's essentially what happens. Turns out this was done back in 09, 08, 09, in response to, you know, the, the financial crisis. When America was bailing out banks and auto manufacturers, Iceland chose to bail out their citizens, okay? Apparently, Iceland was one of the hardest hit economies, and they took this bold act to stabilize their economy. So what do you guys think? Good move, bad move, what are your thoughts? I don't know. It's it's an interesting idea. I, I actually remember a similar idea floating around back when we were going through our own financial crisis in this country. Back uh, back here in the U.S., our government and our our central banks were kind of teaming up to bail out banks and auto companies, unions, pretty much any strategic industry that uh, could garner some votes. I think. Um, <laughs> But, you know, if, if you look at the amount of debt that our government has racked up since the Great Recession began, it's astounding. Back then, uh, we were at about $9 trillion of national debt. Now we're at about $19 trillion. And that $10 trillion has come all really on our shoulders, which is a very different approach than what 
Uh, Iceland obviously did. I but saw the $19 trillion number hit right as I was doing research for this. I mean, we officially hit that milestone or... Yeah, that's yeah. that's not a milestone that <laughs> you really want to brag stone. about, right? Stone. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but think about that. $10 trillion. I don't know if we fully can fathom just how big that number is. That is 10 million millions. So if you lined up your 10 million favorite people, your best friends, 10 million of them, you could give them each a million bucks. That's how much money we've racked up in debt in this country. And, you know, basically what Iceland did, it sounds like, is they lined everybody up in the country and said, we're going to divvy up all this money and pay off your debt. In this country, uh, apparently we're at around 323 million citizens. So that would break down to about $31,000 per person. Okay. And, you know, that, that wouldn't be enough to pay off your mortgage, obviously, but that's men, women, children, if Democrats. You're just, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about Iceland's bold move to pay off the mortgage debt of all their citizens in the wake of the financial crisis. Uh, I'm Mike. I've got Kevin Josh with us. Kevin, what are you, what are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking that you cited Facebook as a source. And so it, it draws me back to when the uh, Powerball was at $1.5 billion. Yeah. And we were all excited because if they divvied that up, according to Facebook, every man, woman, and child would get $4.35 Now, they didn't divvy that up. In the wow, math. you are a geek for figuring that out. <laughs> I thought I was the geek. <laughs> no, it was actually about $1.50 per person, but uh, there was a little, a little math error there. there. <laughs> Common Core math uh, involved with that. Okay, but but so seriously, what they did is they 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 paid off everyone's mortgage debt and up to about 110% of what their house value was. Now there were significant consequences of this. So if if that happened here in the US, prices would skyrocket or in geeky terms, we'd see a spike of inflation. That's what happened in Iceland. Inflation went up almost immediately to 20%. Well, it's come back down. Also, they by doing this, they let the banks fail. Right. So the stock market crashed. I mean, not crashed like the way we would say a 10% drop, 95% crash. Wow. They prosecuted some of the bankers as criminals. Uh, there were just, just a lot of fallout. But they're looking back on this now, again, now finding the evidence of this, looking back on it and saying this was this has really helped Iceland, a somewhat interesting economy because of the climate and, and how it's an island and all of that. It's really helped Iceland recover better. But, I mean, they had to go through some, some tough – I mean, there were serious consequences to what sounds like a really appealing idea. Define better, though, because I, I was looking at uh, – just the, the growth of their overall economy. And yes, it's been positive each year since then, but it's not been by staggering numbers, certainly not really any better than what has happened here in the U.S. And we took, obviously, a different approach. Um, so so it'd be interesting, what are they comparing yeah, it to? Uh, unemployment's back down to a little bit lower than what the U.S. is. Inflation is has really come back down. The one that really stands in contrast to the U.S., is their debt level as a country because they did the country actually had to get an injection of cash from the uh, international monetary fund and so they the country had to borrow some loans and then or borrow some money and then they had to you know whatever else but their gdp their debt as a percentage of gdp is projected to be about 50 percent and is going to be it's it's on the decline where ours is much higher and as long as the economy, and I'm knocking wood, as long as the economy doesn't go in recession, then ours should come down, but not to that level. So their their country appears to be stronger financially. 
Well, it's certainly an interesting idea, Mike. And I think when you look at that, one of the things that comes to my mind is the it's an island nation. It's small. The loan they got from the IMF was about five point three billion. Yeah. So when you think about five point three billion, um, that wouldn't really make a dent in what we have. And the question is what what kind of behaviors would that cause? If you came in and said, hey, Kevin, I'm paying off your mortgage, would I say, sweet, because I wanted a new car, I'll go out and refinance my paid-off house, take that money and buy a new car and take my family to Disney? So my question is, what kind of... In Iceland to Disney, that would be pretty expensive. (laughs) That might even be more expensive than it is right now in the U.S. Who knows? If we did it in the U.S., we might all say, well, let's take a trip to Iceland. But I think the question is, what kind of moral hazards... Yes present themselves in this type of a strategy. I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, it it sounds appealing, the thought of someone just coming, swooping in and just wiping out your mortgage, right? I mean, I think about that every day. Yeah, dream come true, right? (laughs) The problem is, what does it do to your character or what does it short circuit in your financial life? In my mind, it stunts your growth in in an important area of your financial management, and that's your opinion or your feelings about debt. And there's something powerful about working your way out of the debt that you borrowed. If you borrowed it, you pay it off, and that does something in you. If nothing else, it makes it far more important to you to have debt prevention be a part of your financial life so you don't go right back into the same hole. Well, what's interesting is the U.S. government isn't exactly... isn't exactly a model example of paying off debt, right? Right. So we're actually going to be coming back and talking about how the U.S. has responded and and some of the stimulus measures, but actually some extra efforts they're hoping to do in the next year or two to help people's retirement savings and so on. So uh, when we come back, we've got that and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Fans Group on News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Hey, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I'm Mike Bernard. Joining me as always, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. We spent the first segment of the show talking about Iceland's response to the financial disaster and the bold move they took to pay off everyone's mortgage debt. We're going to turn the attention or turn the conversation to the U.S.'s response. And I'm not talking about all the stimulus and bailouts and everything, but recently the Obama administration apparently is trying to put a feather in their cap by getting more involved in helping people save for retirement. We have talked about this on the show several times that I think it's 30% of Americans don't have anything saved for retirement. 60% have less than 25,000. Almost the majority of the population is not feeling secure about their retirement. So the Obama administration is taking aim at this in the last year and saying, you know, we're going to fix this. The problem is, in my opinion, how they're trying to fix it. Their idea is to spend a whole bunch of money and try and make retirement plans more accessible to people. This smells and sounds a lot like the whole healthcare deal where they're saying, oh, these people don't have health insurance because it's not available to them. So we're going to make it available to everyone. And they're doing the same thing here with with retirement accounts and so on. It disgusts me. But guys, what are are your thoughts on this? Well, I I think uh, you described it as Obama trying to get a feather in his cap. The problem is 
He's trying to do that by accomplishing what George W. Bush already did. He already made these retirement plans more accessible and more portable. That's one of the big issues that a lot of these articles are talking about, that no matter where you go to work, your retirement plan can go with you. It, it already exists that, that way. It already right? exists. An IRA or retirement account is available to anyone. Right. And it is so easy with technology or work, whatever. It's so easy to get access to. Certainly you know, easier than it was 20 years ago. Right. And so if you look at that, you say, well, today it's the easiest time ever in the history of the world to start saving, accumulate wealth. It's because 20 years ago, there were certain gatekeepers in place that you had to go through in order to gain access to these things. And it, it, it doesn't exist that way anymore. Yeah. You're ready to throw up a little bit. So the article states that the administration wants to spend over $100 million on this initiative. And by initiative, that means to go out, create these grants for people to write proposals on how they can fix this problem that doesn't even exist. Right. $100 million. Well, and Josh, so you said this problem that doesn't even exist. So let's be clear on what problem doesn't exist. Well, to me, the the notion that people don't have access to retirement plans to save into. Anybody in America who has earned income, if you're working and have a paycheck, you are allowed to open up an IRA or a Roth IRA. You can contribute to it out of uh, some sometimes out of your paycheck by taking money out of your bank account on a monthly basis. You could write a check and dump it in once a year if you want. The point is, is that you have com- complete control over these IRA assets. And, you know, there's this new invention, I guess, that uh, Obama has has dreamed up. It's called a MyRA. 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 Right. That sounds strangely similar to an IRA, right? <laughs> uh, that's coincidence only. Okay. The uh, Yora. <laughs> here's the whole thing. Here's here's the biggest problem that I have with this is it's we know there's a problem out there with people not saving enough for retirement. Absolutely. We know that's the problem. Absolutely. And, and this, this feels like the government saying, hey, we're going to solve that problem for you. America, people, you don't have to worry about it. We are going to do this for you. And that just scares me. It's on our shoulders, each of us individually, to be financially responsible and prepare for our financial future. Well, and it's an interesting way of framing the argument. If you said 30% of the population has absolutely nothing for retirement, and the the reason is we're lacking a government solution. If <laughs> if I said that, you'd say I don't think so. Right. I I, I maybe we're lacking something along the lines of education. Yeah. But the, it's it it sounds to me like a behavioral issue, and the government's attempts central planning to modify behavior really doesn't work that well. It's been proven all throughout history. No, but I think one of the things that they're trying to piggyback on is in the 401k world, if, if you happen to work for an employer that offers a retirement plan that you contribute to out of your paycheck, a 401k or something similar, there has been a trend more and more for employers to have automatic enrollment, right? Where you're automatically signed up when you're eligible and then they just automatically start pulling money out of your paycheck. If you don't want it to happen, you can tell them to stop. But the fact that it's automatic, the, the assumption is, is that people won't resist if the decision is just made for them. And, you know, even if it works, it just feels wrong, right? The, the age of uh, personal responsibility apparently uh, is dying a slow death here. And the government willing to step in and just be responsible for all of us, which uh, I'm sorry, kids, if you're listening. So 
Hey, we are talking about the Obama administration trying to get more involved in people's retirement and try and really solve a problem that's not really there, and they're doing it with our own tax dollars and in a deficit and, and all of that. Let's turn the let's turn the conversation. Okay. Okay. We're going to stay on retirement here, but I read an interesting article recently about how HSAs that are health savings accounts are actually more important for your retirement than even a 401k. Interesting idea. We've talked about health savings accounts a lot on the show and how versatile they are and that they're really meant to for, for people with a high deductible health plan. That's the only way you can get an HSA is you have to have a high deductible health plan. You can save up so that your out-of-pocket medical expenses, you've already got an account where you can pay those since you don't have insurance that's going to start paying from the first dollar. Now, this is talking about, and we've talked about some of the benefits uh, that these pose for retirement, but what are your guys' thoughts? More important than a 401k? Well, I think it depends on your situation. If you are net cash positive, if you have disposable income and you can use the HSA as a tool to accumulate money and pay for your health costs out of pocket, then uh, then we then we're then we're talking about something. If you're struggling to fund your HSA, this may sound somewhat foreign. Yeah, you know the the thought of a 401k being less important than an HSA, it kind of implies that you could use the HSA as a way to build your retirement nest egg. And even though you can stuff money into that, if you're eligible, not everybody's eligible, as you mentioned, um, even if you're accumulating dollars there and they build for retirement, it's not, at least most HSAs out there, they're really a savings vehicle, Mm -hmm. right? Earning a piddly amount of interest. It's not a growth engine of any kind like your 401k could be. So as far as a practical uh, matter, I, I still see the 401k as a more important retirement vehicle personally. It is true, though, that an HSA, you get to set money aside on a before-tax basis. As long as the dollars sit in that HSA account, they are not taxed. And when you pull them out, if you use them for medical expenses, they come out tax-free. So, uh, you know, it it is more tax-advantaged, I guess Mm -hmm. I should say, more tax-preferred than a 401k because nowhere along the line do you pay tax on that money. The 401k, though... Those are dollars that you set aside before taxes. They grow without being taxed. But you're going to pay tax in the end when you get out there to, to retirement. Okay, let me tell you why you guys are wrong. First, Let's hear if it. you're contributing to your HSA, most people are doing it out of their paycheck. And what additional tax are you saving on those dollars? Well, you're saving the 7.65. FICA tax. FICA, That's right. what that is. And you don't save that on your 401k contributions. Second, Josh, to your point of, well, these dollars really aren't in a growth account, right? They're sitting in a bank account often, not earning much, and so you don't really get the benefit of compound interest. However, you could invest these dollars. Most yeah. people just happen to be using them on an ongoing basis, and so you want to keep it in a low-risk account. You but could that's the them. point, though. If, if these are meant to be medical dollars, you never know when you're going to need to tap into them for medical expenses. So the thought of tying them up in a long-term investment or, or growth-oriented investment, it, it violates some of the principles of matching your investments with the time horizon, but, right? But let's, let's, that was where I was going, is let's match this up. When do you think you're going to spend the most on your health care? In retirement. So what if you had a, a big account set aside, Kevin said once before, for a 65-year-old couple 
who's going to live for 20 years, they're going to spend about $250,000 on healthcare in their retirement. What if you had a big account that you could pull dollars out of tax-free in retirement to pay for those medical costs? I don't know. Piqued my interest. Yep. Very well, interesting. It is. It, it's very interesting. If you're going to do that, the, the level of complexity to that strategy, that requires some very, very careful planning. As, as we've gone through. Certainly there are some benefits, especially if you can do it pre-tax. Who can't do it pre-tax? Who can't save via payroll? Self-employed people. If, if you are, if you're an owner in a, in a S corp or in a business, then into yeah, an have, HSA you're talking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. We've got more coming up here. We're going to be talking about whether it's easier or harder to get a mortgage today and a few other topics coming back right here on Wise Money with Foreign Finance Group here on 95.3 MNC. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hey, good morning. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I'm Mike Bernard. With me, as always, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. We were just talking about HSAs and how important they are and possibly to your retirement as well. If you have not funded your HSA, if you're eligible and haven't funded for 2015, there's still time to make a contribution by April 15th. If you're single or have single coverage on a high deductible health plan, you can contribute $3,350 for last year. Families can contribute $6,650 for 2015. If you're 55 and older, you can do more. All right. Housing season is underway. And in the wake of the financial crash and financial mess that we've all been in, and banks especially, it's been harder and harder to get a mortgage. And my problem with that as a financial guy is houses and and selling and buying a house is such critical economic activity. That one transaction drives so much other purchases in the economy. It's incredible. You buy it. Think about this. You buy a house. What do you want to do? Well, I just want to sleep there. My wife wants to paint every room. I'm just kidding. I love you, honey. Uh, no, really. All new appliances. Take down the wallpaper. We, we yeah. tease about this because I'm to the point we've been in the house for three years. I've painted some rooms now twice. Uh, but you want to redo floors and kitchens and all that stuff. It drives so much economic activity. It's critically important. Well, thankfully, the housing market is back. But the problem is banks are making it so stinking hard to get a mortgage, it's almost a governor on how quickly the housing market can rebound. What do you think now? Is it, is it easier or harder to get into a mortgage? Well, I think it depends on your situation. Certainly, when we think of the Great Recession back in 08 and 09, shortly after that, there were a couple of things. The, the lending standards were really tightened up. They've relaxed some since then. But for a lot of folks during that difficult time, if they had dealt with unemployment or changing jobs or many different, different types of scenarios, they might have had some bruised credit. And so their ability to get standard lending at the great rates that exist today, that it was challenged back then. So hopefully those folks that might have struggled four or five years ago have run the miles, done the hard work to improve and repair their credit, and now they're able to get, have, have an easier job of getting a mortgage. 
Well, and don't mistake a harder time getting a mortgage with a slower time getting a mortgage either. Good point. You know, there are so many mortgages going on right now that the the length of time it takes to get all the way through the process used to be that you could get it done in 30 days. Some people might be able to do it even faster, but uh, the, the latest numbers I've heard have been closer to 60 days. And um, that's actually a sign that so many people are refinancing or buying new houses that the, the system is clogged so to speak. So that kind of flies in the face a little bit. That might be a skewed segment of the population. You know, those who do have good, strong credit are able to get a mortgage just as easy as, as ever. But those who maybe have had a bankruptcy in the past or they've had a foreclosure, maybe they're uh, loaded up with too much uh, credit card debt or their income has taken a hit. There, there's a lot of reasons why someone wouldn't get a mortgage and they shouldn't get a mortgage if they're not financially viable, um, you know, a, a, as a risk to the bank. Sure. And, and some of my sources tell me that the reason why it's closer to 60 days than 30 days is some of the compliance regulations that have come through, making point. it much, much, much more difficult. And all of the documentation that is required now, we are not in the good old days of the no income verification Right. Uh, type of a mortgage. So we're talking about whether it's easier or harder to get a mortgage these days. And as I've worked with folks on this, the banks used to just ask for financial data up front and then they'd get you approved and start the process. Now they're asking for it again partway through the process and they'll usually ask for it a day or two before closing and just to make sure nothing's changed and, and all of that. And to me, it it does seem harder these days. And we've been talking about earlier on the show that you've got to be financially responsible. What I loved about what you said, Kevin, is every it, the focus was on you. Hopefully there's more time since the big crash you've got in your financial life, maybe a little more straightened out. You're in a stronger position now. I love that. Yep. All right. Speaking of the, well, the market, we talked about how important the housing market is to that. The stock market is complex. Okay. And there's, you know, the, 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 the baby boom generation for a long time has been the biggest generation in the U.S., but now we've got millennials. Millennials as a generation are actually bigger than baby boomers, and their behavior and their thought process on finances are actually starting to drive the stock market. Now, if you believe that there's a direct correlation one-to-one -one and what happens in the world and how things play out on Wall Street, let me give you an example to tell you about how complex the market actually is. So I'm a Disney nerd and kind of a Star Wars nerd as well. But when, so Disney bought out the rights to Star Wars and there was all this speculation when the new Star Wars movie came out that it was going to break all the records, break the opening weekend record and all of that. Okay, so the movie came out. It did in fact break the opening weekend record. They announced that on Monday. What happened to Disney stock that day? Plummeted down 2%, even though for that day, the market was calm. Now, you know, so Star Wars has gone on to break all the other records as well. Disney's stock is doing worse than the overall stock market. There's not one-to-one -one correlation there. It doesn't make sense. However, we're starting to see some correlation between how millennials live and how the stock market's moving. Yeah, I think you're referencing an article that came out uh, in Bloomberg 
uh, the title of it is Millennials Are Starting to Change the Stock Market. And it was actually a pretty interesting article because it not only gives a little glimpse into the psyche of millennials, but it also tries to predict some of the investment themes that could be driven by this generation. Uh, if you're not aware, millennials are the generation born between 1980 and 2000. So technically, I'm barely a millennial. Don't hold it against me, folks. Uh, explains a lot there, Mike. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Now, you know, more and more, this generation is being stereotyped in the media as being very focused on lifestyle and experiences. And that was certainly prevalent in this article, but it, it basically suggested that they're more interested in using their money for buying fun as opposed to buying stuff. There was a, a survey done recently that shows that 78% of millennials would rather pay for experiences than, than material goods. And uh, the, the interesting thing then is... Uh, how do you capitalize on those trends if you're an investor? For, for years, decades really, uh, a lot of investors have paid attention to demographics. They've looked at baby boomers and said, what are they going to spend their money on? That's what I want to invest in. And the same thing is happening with millennials. It's just totally different stuff. It's things like social media or e-commerce, mobile technology, health lifestyles, um, travel, uh, leisure, anything like that that's more experience-driven is really what this generation is is focused on. And, you know, even if for them fun trumps stuff, they'd rather spend money on fun than stuff. The problem is, and this is how I want to kind of spin this to be more of a financial planning discussion as opposed to tips on going out and investing, fun is also trumping savings for this this generation. And that that is incredibly important to pay attention to. You know, where past generations entered adulthood and immediately tried to start acquiring stuff, this generation is entering adulthood and trying to acquire memories. And you can judge for yourself which mindset you think is better than the other, but both of them are a consumption mindset as opposed to a growth mindset. And if you think back to Aesop's fable about the ant and the grasshopper, those who spend all their money on stuff and those who spend all their money on memories, they're both grasshoppers, right? And, and that's something I, I know I'm preaching here, but if you have influence in the life of a millennial, you need to be warning them about the dangers of consuming all that they produce. If you are a millennial, you need to be aware of this and don't try to squeeze yourself into the, the mold of your generation. Be a contrarian, be an ant, not a grasshopper. Absolutely. Preach it, honey. Preach it. Honey, and uh, I would say, Grasshopper, be careful. So we're talking to the millennials, and one of the interesting trends, and this isn't what you were hitting on, Mike, but one of the interesting trends that has uh, come out with 20- and 30-year-olds is they're signing up for loans from alternative finance companies in record numbers. So we're oh. talking, talking about uh, payday lending, tax refund, auto title, pawn shop loans, stuff like that. Because their debt obligations, and I would say not just their debt obligations, but I would tie into what Joshua just said, their debt obligations as well as their, their craving to, to accumulate memories, and so they're willing to spend, they're willing to kind of leverage their future, mortgage their future. And so what they're doing without having great cash management skills is that they're, they're willing to leverage their future and go out and pay usury rates to borrow money from sources that we all know that's the last place you want to be borrowing money well, from. A lot of them are coming out of school loaded up with student loans as well, right? So even day one of their careers, they're already so far in debt that you know many of those 
payday type loans are the only place they can go to get the cash they they want. Here's what that sounds like, though. Instant gratification. And in finance, delayed gratification is what gets it done. In finance and really in life. So good stuff here. We got more coming up. We actually have listener questions coming up on Wise Money uh, with Corhorn Finance Group on News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel. Powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. On the web at lck-law.com. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Along with me, as always, Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn. So we're about to dive into listener questions, but we did miss a segment we're hoping to talk about. Hopefully, we'll pick up on it next week's show, but the FAFSA. I'm sorry, I actually cannot pronounce that right. Did you get that right? FAFSA. FAFSA. The acronym no one can pronounce. It's that time of year. So if you've got a kid in college and you've got to fill out the FAFSA, do it now. <laughs> it's it's you. It's first come, first serve. So do it now. And if you've got questions, we actually did do a full show with Andrea Helmuth from Bethel College. Go to the podcast. Check that out. Yeah. And that's actually a good segue because listener questions are coming up. We want your questions on the show. That's my favorite part of every show. Nothing against you guys, Josh and Kevin, but I actually like listener questions. So Me too. please submit listener questions. You can do so in two ways. Go to the website, wisemoneyradio.com. You can see the link to our, uh, our all of our podcasts and all of that, but you can submit a question right there on the right. You can also submit a question. If you're driving, don't text and drive. Just stay off. You know, don't, don't do that. But you can call 574-222-2000. That's a voicemail box. You can leave your question right there. Leave as much detail as you want. Helps us as we're answering questions. First one comes from Jim from Niles. I've got money in my investments, and they haven't been doing anything. My daughter has some money she owes on a credit card. Should I take money out of my investments and pay off her debt? That is a great question, Jim. And there are many different ways that we could approach this question. I guess the question is, the money in your investments, is it yours or is it your daughter's? That's a great question. Because if it's hers, then absolutely cash it out, give it to her, let her pay off those uh, higher interest rates. If it's your money, as a a father, you have to wrestle with, is this a a loan or is it a gift? Hmm. I've been around long enough to see many loans, or at least things things that started out as a loan, eventually over time become gifts so that the Thanksgiving dinner table could be peaceful. So I would want to know right up front, very clear expectations, if I was going to take money out of my account and put it in someone else's account, my daughter or anyone else, is there an expectation that that money gets paid back and, and how does that happen? Yeah, you know, we, we talk to people all the time who they, they look at this pool of money that they have for retirement, and for those who have more than they think they're going to end up needing, they begin to rationalize in their minds, you know how my son or daughter, my kids are going to inherit this money anyway. Why not get it to them sooner so that they can do something productive with the money? And And sometimes that's rooted just in the fact that it almost offends their sensibilities that they've got idle cash sitting here 
And meanwhile, their son or daughter has borrowed money at these crazy high rates. So why not take that cash, wipe it out? But um, I, I think it really is at the heart of this a philosophical question, which is what you were kind of indicating there, Kevin. You know, if, if your child has some sort of emergency pop up in life, is it your emergency? Or are their goals really something that you feel like you need to help them reach? Are their debts really your obligation? And at the heart of this is the, the question of, are you going to hold your children to be personally responsible for their own financial life, or are you going to do what's in your power to help them out? And not everybody answers that question the same way. You guys got deep, which I love. I was going to take this surface level, just finance, and say, just because an investment hasn't made any money recently doesn't necessarily mean that it's not in a position to make money for you long term. And then second of three, second is a lot of times people look at this and say, I've got 20 grand over here in this account, 20 grand on debt. So I'll just take that 20 grand out and pay off the debt. If it's in a tax sheltered account, you got to pay a bunch of tax and probably a penalty on that. Right. People's minds are blown when I tell them, yeah, you need to take 30 grand or 35 grand out if you want 20. Oh my goodness. Think about that as a as an interest or tax or something like that to offset the interest that you might be paying on your credit card. And then lastly, guys, this is a show about financial planning. Doesn't it depend on his own financial plan? To your point, Kevin, if this is actually his money and not his daughter's, tune into your financial plan. Is this going to bankrupt some of your retirement dollars to help out your daughter? So Yeah, and and I like your idea of approaching it from a financial standpoint. But it's not quite that simple because you say, well, the last couple of years, my investments haven't made a whole lot in the stock market, so I can take that money and pay off a debt for my daughter at maybe at 10% on her credit cards. So financially, it makes sense. Here's where I say, so that's, that's kind of the, the science. Those are, we're just looking at numbers. I've got 20000 here. It's not, it hasn't been earning much. I've got 20000 over there that it belongs to my daughter, and it's expensive. What I look at from from an internal finance standpoint is what does that encourage my daughter to do? What kind of behavior does that encourage? And if that behavior encouraged her to hate debt, then I would say do that. But quite often what I found is that is an enabling behavior and it it increases the daughter's appetite for debt, the daughter, the son or whomever. Okay, so we've been talking, we're, we've got listener questions going on right now. We've been talking about whether you should take money out of investments that maybe aren't performing that well and pay off some of your kids' debt. Very, very interesting. I got another question here from David. He's in Mishawaka. He's 64. Kermit, I'm recently retired and have my investments diversified in different mutual funds. I'm beginning to wonder if I should have bought more CDs when I retired and may want to shift that direction if the market, stock market doesn't bounce back in the next couple of years. However, I'm becoming increasingly concerned that this economic environment may not lend itself to a two to three year turnaround, and I'm looking for some guidance. By leaving the market now, I would be showing extremely poor judgment according to conventional stock market investing. I also don't want to, make, want to take a large hit as our investments did climb to nearly a half million dollars back in the summer of 2015, and they're lower than that now. My question is, is anything conventional anymore? What should I do? Well, David, congratulations. You have officially asked <laughs> the longest question ever. We needed an intermission in that one. So yeah. wait, boil, boil it all down. What is the, the fundamental question here? Should I stay in 
investments, even though they're down and the outlook doesn't look good? Or should I switch to CDs? Yeah, so I, I interpret it also as, can you trust the principles that maybe existed in the past as well? That's fair. Yeah, has the game changed? Right. And How I th- do you answer? Yeah, I think that, that that's a it's a fantastic question, David. Most people who are investors w- will ask that question periodically, especially when the market starts to waver or go down a little bit. And what I would encourage you to do is to look at the long-term dollars. This we talked about this about this very issue this morning at work. What people have a difficult time doing is separating the performance of their long-term dollars from the performance of their short-term dollars. And when people's short-term dollars seem to be performing better than their long-term dollars, it starts to hurt your feelings. And you're not able, you start to become emotional about it. And you say, wait a minute, get the money out of the long-term bucket and throw it in the short-term bucket. That is that is a very natural reaction. It's just the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why you want to be walking through this your financial life with a guide with a sherpa someone holding your hand who can say hey i understand the emotional reaction that you're having and your instincts to do that but that is not what you want to do here's what i'm hearing right now is i'm a golf pro and i keep slicing my driver off the tee and so i just want to instead hit my seven iron or whatever and punch it down the fairway I need a coach right there saying, no, Mike, you need distance here. This is the right hole to go for it. You need distance. Yeah, the seven iron's important, but for the purpose right now, you're trying to get as far, as close to the hole as possible, so, so let it rip on the driver. You know, one of my favorite quotes uh, among all in- investors is a guy named Sir John Templeton, and he said that the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time is different. And often we think of that as a warning against people who believe that the stock market is just going to keep on climbing indefinitely. But it's also true on the downside. Folks who are afraid and think that this time the stock market is going to fall and not bounce back up, this time is different. You know what? Just remember that warning. Uh, it, historically, it has not been different, and the market does move in cycles. So don't do anything too dramatic here, Dave. Great. All right. If you heard something today that piques your interest, I would encourage you, call your financial advisor. If you don't have a financial advisor, give us a call. We're happy to help or check us out online. If you have a question for the show, go to 574-222-2000. Give us a call. Leave your question right there on the voicemail. Or you can check us out online, wisemoneyradio.com. I'm Mike Bernard on behalf of me and Kevin and Josh and the rest of us at Cohorn Finance Group. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on Wise Money with Cohorn Finance Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Cohorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.